We have all likely found ourselves in travel situations that were, let's say, less than ideal. Tight schedules, long lines, anxious to get where you're going. But what if the journey was actually part of the destination? That's actually part of the allure of cruises, those floating luxury hotels that feature, well, just about anything you could possibly want on a vacation. Though cruises sometimes get a bad rap, the people who take them absolutely love them. I had never worked for a company where your customers and your employees like you. And that was a fascinating asset to have. How do you harness that every day? That's Chris Chimes, the CCO at Carnival Cruise Lines. At the 2022 Page Annual Conference, we heard Chris talk with Carnival President Christine Duffy about how multiple crises in recent years have helped them develop a world-class communications function. How a company with fun in its DNA managed to navigate those, let's say, stormy seas during the COVID-19 pandemic while maintaining its brand identity and charm. And how their experience demonstrates the crucial partnership between CEOs and their CCOs. I'm Elliot Mizrahi, and this is The New CCO. Cruise guests love cruising. They're very loyal. Our employees are very loyal. And those are tremendous assets that Christine wanted to tap into in a different kind of way. So with that, I'm going to invite Christine Duffy up to join us. Um, and we're going to talk about how she envisioned communications helping her and how she put that to use. So Christine Duffy. Good afternoon, everyone. Why don't you give high-level Carnival story and the Christine Duffy story so people understand who we are and what we do. So Carnival Cruise Line is uh, actually the most popular cruise line in the world. We sail more guests than any other cruise line. We're celebrating our 50th birthday all year long. Uh, we sail probably in our pre-COVID days, close to 6 million passengers, more families and children. So about a million children a year that would sail with Carnival. We also operate, I like to say we are America's cruise line. We operate from 14 U.S. home ports and 50% of the U.S. population can drive to a Carnival cruise ship in six hours or less. We are part of a corporation. So Carnival Corporation, we are one of nine brands. We're obviously the namesake brand. Uh, we were started by our chairman's father, Ted Arison, uh, 50 years ago. And uh, actually, from a communications perspective, we were the very first cruise line to ever have a national advertising campaign. Um, I can't see faces too well, but depending on your age, you may remember Kathy Lee Gifford, ain't we got fun if they could see me now? So, um, Kat, that was the first ever national uh, TV campaign uh, to promote cruising. And as Chris said, people who do cruise love to cruise. And about 50% of the people that sail with us are repeat cruisers. So we spend a lot of time thinking about our repeat cruisers who know what they want and uh, they want what they want. And then we spend a lot of time and money to convince all the people that have never cruised before why cruising is a great vacation. So Page Society has existed for a long time to mm -hmm. elevate the role of communications mm -hmm. and the chief communications officer role, but you, you were already there. So I'll hail Christine. <laughs> um, but 
you know, how did you get there? Because you were there before you came to Carnival. And then as you came to Carnival and tried to create this position, what were the challenges within the management team about getting this done? So I have been at Carnival, I guess it's coming up on eight years. But prior to that, I ran the trade association for the global cruise industry. Uh, and before that, most of my career, I spent uh, running uh, two different companies that supported corporations with their meetings and events. Um, and my early career was primarily working in the pharmaceutical industry back in what we will call the good old days when pharma had their very first advertising for ethical drugs. But from there, um, you know, working in closely with pharmaceutical executives, especially in meetings, whether they were with customers or with employees. And then we had a business that was in the meetings business. And back in 2008, President Obama said people shouldn't be taking trips to Las Vegas. And within five days, we had lost $300 million of revenue. Uh, and I showed up in Washington, D.C. for the very first time to meet with members of Congress to explain to them why we were such an important industry and why travel matters. And at the time, Eric Cantor said to me, you can't just show up in Washington when there's a crisis. And clearly, as an industry, we were fragmented. You had the airlines, the cruise lines, the hotels, all the different facets of the of the travel industry, but lobbying was not really a thing that we did. And the work that I did with U.S. Travel Association, which I'm now chair of, uh, we were able to bring the industry together, all segments. The idea is we have to speak with one voice and we have to communicate and build these relationships in between the crises because there's always crises, um, which... Again, we just learned um, with this pandemic. But coming out of 2008, President Obama, ultimately, uh, we were able to get Brand USA uh, established, which is a public-private uh, corporation that promotes the U.S. for travel. Our focus is very much how do we ensure that you know we have a seat at the table and that we're not lunch, which we have been over and over. Um, and so that's why I think for me, my perspective about communication and why it matters and how it's so critical um, evolved. But when I took the job at CLIA, which was the trade association for the cruise industry, less than 12 months in, Costa Concordia happened, um, which was a tragic event in, in, in Italy and 34 people died. Um, and Carnival corporation that Costa is one of our nine brands, uh, the chairman, the vice chairman of Carnival was the chair of CLIA. So he was my boss. And I remember calling him and saying, like, okay, what are we going to do? Because we're, we are regulated by the International Maritime Organization, which is in London. And I said, who's going to be there on Monday morning? Because there's a new secretary general and they were having this big event that was about how far we've come since Titanic. And I remember him saying, and I said, I think I should go to London. And he was like, well, what will you do there? And here, Carnival did not, Carnival Corporation did not have a, a communications officer. And 
I got on a plane and went to London, even though he did he really literally, literally did not understand why I was so compelled. Um, and we worked with the BBC. We did interviews. We got experts. We created a board of advisors, blah, blah, blah. Um, and ultimately we, you know, we consolidated, you know, we dealt with it, but they still didn't hire somebody for that job after Costa Concordia happened. Fast forward less than 12 months later, Carnival Cruise Line had an incident uh, where a ship, uh, there was a small fire and the ship lost propulsion and the ship floated around in the Caribbean. And some of you may have heard about this as the poop cruise, um, which was which was not good. And um, I went back. I went back to Carnival and I again and I said, please, we have to hire someone for corporate communications because in my role, I was dealing with every one of these nine brand presidents, plus all the competitor CEOs who were calling me like, what are you going to do about this? So ultimately, they did hire someone that you worked with at American Airlines. Roger Fussell was hired as our chief uh, corporate communications officer. and then I was hired to be president of Carnival. And I believe part of the reason I was hired was obviously how we handled these crises. And um, so that's my story. Then I got to Carnival Cruise. And I'm like, where's our communications person? We had PR, but not really the sort of the CEO, CCO role the way we'd be bought. Yeah, my sense is we had a series of communications functions. Yeah around the building that did not talk to each Mm -hmm. other and didn't want to talk to each other, Mm -hmm. right? And each of the operations or marketing, they all wanted their own communications group that did not leverage the opportunities. Um, So let's talk about COVID. Do we Uh, have to? (laughs) High level. I mean, you know, as, as we talked about, along with Broadway, crews were probably the, were the two sectors that shut down completely. Broadway and entertainment, right? But the difference is that I think Broadway and entertainment were able to get access to support from Correct. the government. Um, so the, the cruise industry in the U.S. being shut down. How, how many dollars did we get? Zero. Zero. Well, we, we, we ultimately got $39.6 billion of debt and equity, but right. um, no, no PPE for us. So was there any like one moment that kind of stuck out in your mind with regard to kind of like, when will this ever end? I don't know that there was any one moment. There were probably thousands of them, but because we, you know, as you know, we were shut down for over 16 months. Right. But when we were first shut down, there was no context or belief that this might, maybe this will be 30 days. I, I, I think you were there. We were in the office when I had to bring all of our employees together and tell them we were being shut down. Like our operation is being shut down. I mean, we have 250,000 people on ships and, you know, over 35,000 crew members and the government. I mean, basically we, we volunteered as an industry to shut down, but that was going to happen if we didn't volunteer. So um, at that point, you don't, you, there was no way anybody could have believed what was going to evolve and how long and the impact that it was going to have just on everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I think my most surreal moment was 
New Year's Eve in New York, where last year we crawled out, we were back to operations, we thought things were going better, Omicron hits, we had done a takeover in Times yeah. Square, all the billboards, everything was about Carnival Cruise Line, with the news crawls on the bottom saying the CDC, CDC. recommends that nobody cruise. <laughs> I mean, that was like... That was like, my God, will this happen? Oh, my God. Yeah. Because you know, every other moment you were just reacting, but that one was, yeah. like, what are we doing here? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, I, you know, communicating with our, our crew yeah. was so critical during this time. Like we were talking about earlier, you were doing regular videos. We had mm-hmm. 35,000 crew members at home waiting to come back to work. They thought they were going home for a month or two. Um, I want to talk about one particular issue that I know we've talked about a little bit, but never really vetted. But at one point, about six or seven months in, because we're sending these videos out, you're getting tons of emails back. Thank you, Ms. Christine. Please bring us back to work, whatever else. We knew it was going to be a long time. Mm -hmm. We had not said anything. And I finally came to you and I said, Christine, we've got to tell these people, you know, if you can go get a job, they need to go get a job. Mm -hmm. And... That is so counterintuitive to what any leader wants to do, which is release your employees to go do something else. But you didn't hesitate. And it, it was interesting, the reaction to that. I'd like to, you to sh- share how our employees look to you after that as far as the, the response, the thank you for being honest. It was, it was, it was a difficult thing to do, but it was very heartwarming at the, at the, it seemed like it, engendered more loyalty than anything else. I think it did. I think, first of all, the the communication that we did in the beginning was just trying to get them home. We had some crew members that were on the ships for a year because their own countries wouldn't take them back. So we have crew members from over 120 different countries around the world. You know, unlike the airlines that could park the plane in the desert, we had to continue operating our ships with minimum manning. And, you know, we ultimately used our ships to bring our crew members back to their homes. Well, we could get them as far as the port. You know, we got to Manila or we get to the big port in India. But as you can imagine, many of these crew members travel for a day just to get to where they can get on a ship or get to the to the plane that brings them to the ship. So it was really planes, trains, automobiles. We, I mean, you saw the, the, the one slide. I mean, every week we were doing a video and just letting them know what was happening, what we were doing. And then, as you said, once we finally got everyone home and, and, you know, just trying to get them home with their luggage, because we had ships where you're taking people's luggage to now they have to get to another ship. And we were doing that using the little tenders that we have. Um, and then when we got to Manila, I mean, there was just a sea of cruise ships and the, and the government and the Philippines had to come on every ship. So this was just a very long, drawn out, difficult process. And then once they got home, we felt that we had to keep communicating. So we did these every week videos and, you know, I mean, you're all communication professionals, so we know we're going to communicate even when we have nothing new to say. And so, I, I mean, I think I have one video in front of my Christmas tree with the dog and my family. And, you know, so they I think some of it was 
they started to get to know me in my home because we weren't in the office. So I was out in the yard when the birds are chirping or here's my kid that's running in front of the camera or here's the video that I couldn't figure out how to do and it's upside down. So the, it, I became, it became very humanizing. I mean, I had always spent a lot of time on the ships and engaged with our people, but this was different because they knew and I knew this was really bad. And then ultimately we, we did have to say, look, if we don't have certainty, this nobody is telling, we never imagined it would be this long. So if you can get work elsewhere, you should, you have to take care of your family. We're here. And as soon as we can get back, we will bring you back. And the visits that I made after restart were probably the most uh, emotional for me because that's when I heard the stories of like they would gather with their parents. I mean, and a lot of these crew members, like they live in homes with their grandparents, you know, multi-generations and they would gather around the, the video to watch what was I going to say, which just shows how important our industry is to so many of these workers that and and our guests, we also engaged with our guests. And then our guests were engaging with our crew. And so it was really kind of this interesting, unprecedented thing that happened. And now, even with the when the guests came back, they were so happy to see the crew. And there were guests who had sent money to crew to help them. And we raised money. And so, yeah. Yeah, I remember at one point, the first Christmas, we had about 2,000 crew members manning the ships to maintain them. So we thought maybe it wouldn't be great to yeah. send them Christmas cards. So we put a, an appeal out to our guests, send in cards, we'll skip into the ships, hoping like we'll get, in fact, I had our staff in writing cards yeah. to make sure we had 2,000, one card yeah. for, yeah. for everybody. Yeah. And we got like 30,000 cards, yeah. Um, yeah. you know. And people were post, you know, posting social on their social pages, writing cards for the carnival yeah. crew, and that was you know our our guests go on vacation with our crew. I think yes. that's a big differentiating yeah. kind of thing. So, um, as you talked about at the top, carnival is all about fun, <laughs> and yeah, there's our uh, our crew on the top. This is during restart. Um, there was almost a competition between ships as each ship restarted. They did a top of the deck photo. Um, this was one of our favorites where they formed the Carnival Funnel. That was on Carnival Panorama, I think. I think my favorite is the heartbeat. Oh, there was that's true. Yeah. There was one where they 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 formed into a heart and they made the sound of the heartbeat and they were moving in the in the video. Um, but yeah, it was it was incredibly emotional restart and and bringing ships back, which was much harder actually in some ways than shutting down because at that point then we also had all of the cdc and regulatory uh and we were under an environmental compliance plan with the department of justice so they were involved in our restart as well so we have lots of ways we show fun mm -hmm. we got shaquille o'neal's our chief fun officer we've got guys you know making the best burgers um in the world, we sell more hamburgers. We serve more hamburgers than Five Guys. So that's that's. I think that's, we also have the biggest steakhouse chain. We do. <laughs> we have more comedy clubs than Las Vegas. We got roller coasters on ships. Mm -hmm. We had Santa Claus on the roller coaster. 
Um, other companies would think of these as marketing mm -hmm. initiatives. You think of them as in a much more PR communication. Mm -hmm. How come? Well, I think Mark, I mean, I guess there's marketing people. <laughs> no, I mean, marketing for me, a traditional marketing is more about the data and understanding my audiences. And yes, there's campaigns and promotion, but I, I think this is much, the, the way we have used communication and PR in today's world where everybody is a reporter, everybody is, you know, always watching what we're doing as a brand, that this is much more authentic and a way for people to connect that feels real uh, for the brand. So I think that was one of the decisions that, that I made early on where PR used to sit in marketing and we pulled PR out and it sits with Chris and Chris is a direct report of mine where there used to be a person that managed PR and communications that reported to the chief marketing officer who reported to the chief commercial officer who reported to me. So I, I think this whole idea that bringing um, communication and thinking much more broadly about communication uh, has been a strategic advantage for us at Carnival. And I think our earned media results, I mean, we have more positive media than any other cruise brand. And it's not because we're spending more in marketing. We're actually spending less than many of our competitors. We're not using TV the same way that some of our um, competitors are um, because we, ha I think, have found a way to connect more directly. Uh, and then marketing uses a lot of these partnerships and you could call them stunts, I suppose, um, to then promote the brand. The carnival brand is kind of ubiquitous, mm -hmm. right? That can be good or bad, uh, but nobody's making fun of Royal Caribbean because a lot of CEOs and executives would not like this kind of stuff. I might not either. I don't know yeah. what video you're going to show. <laughs> Chris then proceeded to show Christine and an audience of his peers a two-minute supercut of Carnival Cruise Lines being placed as the punchline of many jokes in popular media. Being trapped in a floating motel is not my idea of a vacation. <laughs> I'll be drowning my sorrows in a marathon on my new thing. From talk shows to sitcoms to late-night sketch comedies. <laughs> I've worked for some other executives that would have been in my office the next morning after any of these stories and said, get them to knock that off. Tell them to stop it. That's not our style, right? Well, what did they say? All PR is good PR. I mean, kind of, but I mean, it's all sort of the stereotypical what people, you know, there are people who think that's, that's what people who don't cruise think about cruising. Um, in some ways, we make fun of ourselves. I mean, we're not a brand that is, we don't take ourselves too seriously, I guess. I mean, the bacon, we actually had signs on the ship that put up that said, bacon is on vacation. And, you know, we're serving bacon every other day and because we couldn't get bacon. So it was sort of a funny thing. Um 
No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I don't think it's offensive. Now, there are some things that are offensive. I guess there was something recently in social media where John Mayer was actually I don't watch all the things my kids watch, but they send me there. John Mayer was arguing with some social media star about how he likes Carnival Cruise Line. I've been meaning to send you that link to say if John Mayer likes us, then I mean, that's all I like John Mayer. And, you know, I think that's frankly refreshing. New to the industry and new to the company, it's refreshing that we don't take ourselves that seriously. Well, we have a lot of guests after these things that, you know, you see on social media, like being angry at Jimmy Fallon or whoever said anything about Carnival. They don't know. They must not cruise. So, you know, to your point earlier, we also have a brand ambassador, John Heald, who's a former cruise director that's been around. I mean, he's been around for, I don't know, 30, 35, 35 years. years. And so every morning, this guy is online on Facebook and talking to our fans. And, you know, they have an opinion about everything and they fight with each other about, you know, any little change that we make. So to me, that's brand love. I mean, that's like your family. People make fun of their family all the time. Well, that, <laughs> you know, John, John is now part of our team. Yes. He was, that was another change I made. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and he can kind of get out there yeah. a little bit, but he's got well over 350,000 followers on Facebook and his channel outperforms the carnival channels. Um, but I was struck how gutsy that was that the company is comfortable enough to let him do his thing. He basically kind of puts on a Howard Stern show. Yeah, he does. And sometimes, you know, like I'm like, John, you can't talk about your dangly bits anymore. And you can't, you know, you can't talk about these things. Um, uh, because the world has changed. But you know, there were guests that I saw at restart who told me that that John healed for them was their lifeline every day where that's what they did every day during the pandemic. Pete, there are people who cruise with us for months out of the year. Like they might have 26 cruises booked and for them not to be able to cruise was really, they struggled. I, I mean, I think really some people were in a depression over it. Right. At this point, we opened up the Florida questions and both Christine and Chris were extremely forthcoming. While there are a number of interesting questions asked, I wanted to play their response to the last one, which was about how important their environmental efforts are to their guests. I wish I could tell you that it was something top of mind to our guests or U.S. consumers when they're making a choice about their vacation or cruise line. We're not there yet. Now, I think over time, right, it's going to happen. But there's so much that we are doing. And as you know, at Marzilla, um, investing in so many different, so much innovation. I mean, biofuels that are being used. We're looking at fuel cell, uh, battery use, the LNG ships, of course. We put now during the pandemic and remember how much money we've, well, that we've had to, we have installed food digesters on every ship across the fleet, which actually digests food wastes. Um, and you know, you end up with a bottle like this. Um, to reduce food waste, um, we we trace all recycling to the source. So there's there's so much that we are doing. Some of it is getting ahead of regulation, and because it's the right thing to do. But I don't think the carnival guests that's not in their top five reasons why they choose us. No. 
I, I think that'll change. And we do a lot to promote all of the things that we're doing to be sustainable, to reduce our carbon footprint. We have, as you probably know, significant goals um, with the rest of the industry to do that. Yeah, but cl- clearly a communications challenge to bring some of our guests along. Because like Christine said, it's not, the, it's not the trigger for making a decision. But it will be one day. And we'll be there. Fingers crossed. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode of The New CCO, be sure to check out our latest episodes and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, leave us a rating and a review. We want to hear what you think so that we can keep making this podcast more interesting and valuable to you. To find out more about what's happening at PAGE, please visit us at page.org. Special thanks to Rivet360, our podcast partner, without whose support, we simply would not be able to bring this podcast to you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time on The New CCO.